0: We start on this episode we wanted to let you know that you can watch our catalog and cocktails episodes live with us every wednesday via zoom check the link in our channel bio for more information and we hope you join us in the discussion in real time now let's get back to the episode hello everyone welcome it's time for catalog and cocktails it's our weekly live hangout and podcast It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product manager at Data.World, and joined by Juan. I'm Juan Cicada.
1: I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World, and always, as I say, happy to take a break in the middle of the week and spend time with my partner in crime, Tim, to chat about just data. And also today is a conversation, not just data, but it's also insurance and data. And I'm really excited to have our guest today, John Looker, who has been in this insurance industry and data for a long time. John, great to have you here today. How are you doing?
0: Good, Juan. Thanks. Hi, Tim. How are you? Yeah, glad to have you. We're, we're excited to chat about data and chat about insurance, and we're, we're excited to have your expertise here. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, thanks so- for having me.
1: As a quick reminder for all our podcast listeners, we record cataloging cocktails live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central, and everyone's invited. We stop the recording at 4:30, and we start the after-party and discussions with all the attendees who are here live. And you can also join our Slack community at slack.data.world, so we can continue having the conversations. We have a cataloging cocktails channel there. So before we kick off, what are we all drinking? What's everybody drinking, John? I hear that you. Uh, Having I something have, very tasty today, huh?
2: Yeah, well, I have to drive. <laughs> I have to drive right after this. So uh, in the spirit of that, I'm drinking a Diet Mountain Dew. Um, otherwise, I
0: would have had a Guinness. I, I used to drink so much Diet Mountain Dew. That was like my go-to. And, uh, and at some point, I switched to Topo. Now, Topo is my, my go-to. So um, I don't know. Healthier, I guess? I don't know. I have no idea. I kind of miss the flavor, though. I think anything's healthier than Diet Mountain Dew.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking, Tim?
0: Uh, I am drinking a uh, Boulevardier, um, so it went a little bit fancier today, and um, yeah, it's tasty. I like a little bit of Campari.
1: Well, I'm just having a bourbon and some ginger beer. I like that, just nice and simple. So, what are we guys? What are we? Let's toast for something, John. What do you want to toast for?
2: Well, um, I love to travel, and obviously, I haven't been. None of us have been, able, so I'm I'm toasting for. A return to being able to travel at some point in the hopefully not too distant future. I'm with you on that one. How are you,
0: I'll toast to the nice weather in Austin today. It is beautiful outside, so I'm, I'm that glad is, that we can have such nice nice weather in February.
1: That is very very true, and uh, I'm hoping that we'll keep that weather for uh, for a while. I'm toasting that my 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 some family have or, or they've come here to visit. Our my sister in law is here with a baby that they've had like eight months ago, and We've been seeing pictures and videos, right? And they finally kind of made the trip over here me. and they gonna be here for a while. So we're excited about that. Anyways, right. cheers, everybody. Great cheers. to have you here.
0: That's awesome. Cheers.
1: So we got always, uh, we're being told to ask some funny question to kick off and we had to ask this one, right? So what's your favorite insurance commercial? State Farm, Progressive, Liberty, Allstate. John, you've been, you've, been, you've seen all of them, you know, them all, everything. What is it? What's your favorite one?
2: Well, there's an awful lot of them to choose from, but lately I've been, I've been, I've been kind of intrigued by the, uh, the emu that goes over and sits on the volleyball and the beach volleyball game. And I was wondering how in the world do they teach the emu how to do that?
1: There's also one, I'm with you with that. I love that. And especially because you don't, how do they get that into the car? Right. There's that commercial. They have it in the car. Yeah. They have it, like that. I just,
2: I'm, I'm, I think that's my favorite one because very, they, very cooperative emu.
0: that's that's amazing it's got to be computer animated or something like that right it can't be uh it can't be what we think it is you would think so
1: (laughs) anyways well post in the chat tell us where you're coming from what are you drinking what are you toasting for and what's your favorite insurance commercial and with that let's kick up with some insurance stuff and i mean i mean john can you just kick off give us a little bit of intro because you've been in, in this space for so long I know you were in Deloitte for a while you retired but you want to keep working so give us a little bit of background and and I love if you can kick us off with one of your favorite horror story stories about data and insurance
2: sure so yeah just a little about <laughs> myself so um, I was uh, I I've, I've worked at two universities I was the cio of a, of a liberal arts college for a number of years I worked at two banks I ran um, systems development for a couple of banks in different uh, functional areas. Uh, then I moved into the insurance space. I worked at uh, Aetna, Cigna, um, and then I moved to, uh, to Deloitte. I was a partner at Deloitte. Uh, I was there 20 years and I was the one of the founders and the, uh, the leader of uh, Deloitte's insurance analytics practice for a really long time. And in that time, I helped uh, my, my colleagues and I, we, we innovated and invented uh, a, a number of patents and uh, pending patents related to predictive modeling, advanced analytics in the insurance space. Um, and today, and then I did retire a year ago from Deloitte early, um, wanted to do some different things. And, uh, now I am the, uh, I, uh, I and a couple of partners. We have, uh, we've, uh, moved into a, a small privately owned insurance company that we hope to grow to a public company someday. Um, and we're expanding it from a monoline single product company into a multi-line commercial uh, company. And I'm the executive vice president and chief strategy and analytics officer of that company. It's called, uh, it's called Universal, F- Universal Fire and Casualty Insurance Company based in Michigan.
1: Yeah. So, so with that, what's your, what, I mean, you have decades of experience and insurance is such an interesting space because data is a core part of everything that they do. And uh, and, and everybody in the world basically gets affected somehow by insurance. I, I'm sure you have so many horror stories. So please kick us off. With yeah. One. So, build off so let me, there.
2: so de- obviously, you know, doing predictive analytics for deck, you know, two decades at, at a place like Deloitte, we, we see a lot of companies, and I've walked the halls probably at 80-plus insurers. Um, but my, my real digging in on this topic and understanding um, the problems with data data governance, and I'll, I'll talk about that later, really started as a little bit of a, a hoppy interest. And what it was was back, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, I started noticing that I was getting like a zillion credit card applications in the mail. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I would, you know, think about what's inside my wallet. Inside my wallet, I at that time, I think I actually got a new credit card recently. But at that time, I had, like, a Discover card since, like, I graduated grad school in 1986. I had a Visa card I think I had since, like, 1999. Um, and then I think I had my corporate credit card, which everybody had to c- carry. Uh, and that was it. So I hadn't gotten a credit card, like, over 20 years. But yet these companies felt like somehow I had this you know, dying interest to get more credit cards. So I started saving these, these envelopes that kept showing up in the mail. And I literally, um, well, after telling my wife a couple of times, no, I'm not going to throw them away, I filled up a box with over, I think there were about 720 credit card applications over a three-year period. So I, I was crazy enough to save these for three
0: years. So yeah, that, that is crazy. That's yeah, a lot of is. marketing dollars <laughs> going to try to get your business there. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. Think about think about how much each of those envelopes costs in a fully loaded sense between corporate overhead and employees and et cetera. But so what I did was I I took all these envelopes and I sorted them by where they came from, and I I laid them out on my driveway in a, and it turned into a sixteen by twenty grid. And I took a photo of it from an upper floor, and I started using that photograph uh, as as a prop for my discussions with clients when I was at Deloitte about data, data governance, and why the heck do you keep sending me all these these offers when you know there's nothing nothing in my data could indicate that I have a propensity to get a new credit card. Um, that's a
1: that's fascinating. I,
2: so oh, oh, yeah, yeah so I, I want to to, a lot of you got, to, you got to
1: share a picture of this somewhere.
2: I have, I have, I still have it. Um, but um, actually if we can show it here <laughs> on the slide, they, can you see that? that? Those are envelopes on my driveway from an upper window, 16 feet by 20 feet across. Um, so, so I started having conversations with companies about this and you know what I heard repeatedly was, we buy the data from these vendors, these external data brokers, and they they evaluate and they have models that determine a person's propensity for having an interest in, in uh, you know, a new credit card application. Um, and then uh, shortly after this happened, there was one major credit vendor who shall remain nameless for this public event, um, who made a, a service available where you could pull up your own personal marketing data record. So I pulled up mine and I was horrified. I was horrified how incredibly inaccurate it was. And, uh, and, and the reason I was horrified first of all that it, my data was so wrong but the other thing that I thought was interesting was as you can tell from my my appearance I'm, I'm not a, a, a newbie in the uh, in the business world or in the consumer world. Um, I'm not that old but I'm also not that young but I, I've been married for a long time. I have a couple of you know, older children you know I've lived in the same town for a long time. I should be like, a no-brainer to have accurate data about because I haven't been moving around. I'm not hard to track down. I'm pretty stable. Um, and I was I was like 30% correct. And I'll tell you so, how, so why is
1: that? Why, why, why is that?
2: Well, I, I traced it. Um, and then I'll get to kind of what I did after that. But I, I traced it. And, 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 and this is the reason. The reason is um, prior to my two parents getting ill and passing, I don't know, 15 years ago now, um I, I need, they needed help having you know, doing the paperwork to pay their bills. So they had all their bills forwarded to me. And apparently what that does in the you know big data consumer marketing data ecosystem is that my dad, who was an elderly man, veteran, smoker, you know, lots of uh, different consumer behaviors, he became the head of my household in the data. Um, and he used to get new credit cards all the time. I don't know why, but he did. And, and, and the reason I know this is because I kept getting different envelopes showing up in the mail all the time with his bills in it. And, um, and then I asked him, what happened to this one? Oh, I canceled that. I got this one because they sent me this offer, that offer. So that was it. So just the mere fact of an older male mo- uh, sending his mail to my house with the same last name, somehow he became the head of my household. And it, that created this, this you know, cascading array of errors. And it causes cascading array of crazy offers and other behaviors that I've literally to this day, um, I still get crazy stuff in my, in my mail
0: because of him, that's, Um, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. and, and and this data is so important to the lifeblood of insurance companies, right? Or, or you know, financial companies more generally, Everything. right? Yeah. And everybody who's trying to send offers, trying to convert. I mean, this is a huge channel, right? I mean, and, in and this it, case, it they're just doing issues.
1: marketing to you. But I mean, what about th- with that inaccurate data? They're trying to make decisions about you, right? They think that you're a smoker when you're not a smoker and you think you're Haiti. Like, how is that going to affect you? So I might
2: not get an offer for life insurance or, you know,
0: or... Or or whatever, you know. Yeah, and then
1: you are, have to you know. go spend time trying to say that's not true, and that's just more time and money wasted to go kind of correct some stuff that they. Yeah. Should
0: how be. do they know what uh, products to recommend to you then? Right. Yeah, I I mean I people like me get lost, but
2: but but I think the the interest what what's particularly interesting about this is what happened next, which was I kind of said, well, if they're letting me look at my data, they'll look that anybody look at my data and look at their data. So so I rounded up. A couple of hundred of my Deloitte colleagues and said, um, I created this kind of anonymous, uh, um, you know, survey and, uh, and, and categorize it by the different data fields that you were able to see. And I asked a couple of hundred of my Deloitte colleagues, um, to go out and look at their data and fill in the questionnaire. And I aggregated the data and I ended up writing a paper called predictably inaccurate, which I think I've shared with you guys, but any of you listening are happy. You can just go out and type, uh, type predictably inaccurate and you could either type my last name lucker or you can type deloitte and you'll pull it up Um, and what we found on a a high level was um two-thirds of the people that evaluated their own data found that their data was somewhere between zero and 50 percent accurate so even the high watermark makes their data barely a coin toss in which case why buy any data at all i just toss a coin just this is this person to this? You know, toss a coin. This is this person to that? Toss a coin. Um, a third of the people, they were zero to twenty-five percent accurate. So they were, and I and I was barely above that that high water mark. Fifty-nine um, percent of people said their basic data, demographic data, was correct. So we're talking gender, age. I mean, pretty simple stuff. Um 44% of people said their vehicle information, so auto, so that's obviously important for things like auto insurance or for that matter just car companies trying to market stuff to you. 44% of people said their vehicle information was 100% wrong. Um 75% of the people said their vehicle info was zero to half correct. 41% of people said their home data was zero to half correct. 42% said that that the data was accurate about things they buy. And that's probably the, the, the best button. sound bites. So <laughs> the, 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 the message here is that this data is horribly wrong. We then asked people their propensity to fix it. And very, very few people had any interest whatsoever in taking time but out in of this their case. Day. You mean
1: like us, the consumers going in and telling people to go
2: fix it or? This particular, this particular service uh, asked you if you wanted to fix anything. And what we found, there were two categories of people. There were very few people who chose to fix it. There were a number of people who um, who did. There were, there were, excuse me. There were very there were very few people who chose to fix it. Most people chose not to fix it, and a few people did fix it. They deliberately made it wrong, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> because they just didn't wanted to be left alone, and they figured, you know, I'm going to mess them up.
1: So, okay. So, so this is. How do we address I mean, this is I guess the overarching challenge here is just having inaccurate data and, okay. and this and this is just because of people merging data incorrectly because they don't know what things mean like their example you're saying that your father is now the household of your household when that's not true. What what can we do or is this just like a fact of life, you know what we're just always going to have to live with crappy data and we always talk about the garbage in the garbage out and you know what. Just, just throw the towel in. It's always going to be bad, garb, bad, yeah, bad, garbage data. I mean, what is this? Is this the
0: best data available, right?
2: Well, I mean, again, I'm not going to say who it was, but it's a it was a major name brand data vendor. So, you know, I, I think what, what makes this difficult to, to, to come up with a pr- solution for, and we'll talk later about things you can do about it from a data, you know, data, data science, and data governance perspective. But the issue here is that you have to keep in mind that. All these different companies, the big name brands and the the lesser brands, they're not the originators of all this data. So, you know, company X may sell 3,000 fields of information. They're not generating those 3,000 fields. They might only generate 200 of those fields. And then they license that data from all these other vendors who specialize in, you know, there's a company that sells vehicle data. There's a company that sells home data. There's a company that sells purchase data and they license it and everybody's cross licensing and cross selling and royalties are flying all over the place. Um, And and that's the problem is that there is no readily understandable ecosystem map of this type of information. Um, And it's very difficult to trace uh, this field about me is either, is this primary data? Is it secondary data, tertiary data, quaternary data, where the heck does this data come from? you know, and 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 the issue, if you were to go back to company X that sold you this data and say all this stuff is wrong, you know, like this one company where they gave you an opportunity to fix it. That's all well and good, but if that's secondary to tertiary, quaternary data, they don't really have a ready mechanism to flow that back to where it came from because they may not technically even know where it came from.
1: Yeah. So so I, it seems that kind of the assumption is that we there's only one big blob of data that we should that we have when in reality it's really it's a mix of a lot of stuff and we should really figure out how to focus on a smaller pieces, on gra- smaller granular pieces of data. I can say, look, here's my whole view of it. But in reality, here's a, sm- a small slice of it. And this slice is actually hundred percent. It's really small of it, but it's hundred percent. This one is 50%. And you can actually trace, give the lineage, the governance of where that data comes from. And you can, so instead of just giving one entire view of the data, right? We always talk about the customer 360, or whatever is like, let's be honest, you want the customer zero degrees to 10 degrees, and then that's, 100% accurate. The 10 to 25 degrees is going to be something else.
2: And right, I mean, it, I
1: know I, I, this is actually a good insight. I mean, I'm thinking about and
0: th- and this, is, this way.
2: And this is, you know, this is obviously very germane to what data.world does is, you know, this is right in your wheelhouses. So I'm talking about external vendor information. The same issues can take place inside of, uh, you know, big legacy corporations. I mean, I, 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 as a consultant, I worked with you know, many dozens of large, medium and small insurers. And now as a insurance executive, you know, I'm very, very focused on where do I get this data? How do we gather the data that we need internally? You know, how do I know it's accurate? I mean, the objective as, as the chief strategy officer of this company that I'm, I'm helping to lead now, um, you know, I've been very focused on uh, going out to external vendors, um, I want to pr- we want to pre-fill information as much as possible. We want, we want our, our agents and brokers to do as little data entry as possible. We want, we want to be able to validate the information that is provided to us because uh, surprise, not, not surprisingly, very often, the information provided to you is either you know, innocently or potentially deliberately wrong, um, and you want to be able to validate it as best you can. So I've been having discussions with these vendor partners trying to understand What are you you selling? How do I know it's right? How can I validate it? Um, Things like that. Where do you get it from? It's a hard thing to get answers to because a lot of the times they just say, that's proprietary.
1: So let's talk about validation for a second and this is a good timing uh, we have a chat uh, message here in the chat from mike terry he says and with tertiary data you end up thinking you double checked it against another source you've actually just paid twice for the same data so there's like yeah it matches it's good in reality you just matched it you just matched your garbage with some other garbage and by the way you paid d- twice for the garbage right?
2: potentially and, and let me let me be a little more precise in how i define tertiary so there's one way to define it the way I, if I understand Mike's question, but the other way to think about it is I buy data from company X. They're not the originators of that. They get it from company Y, but company Y has taken company Z and company A's data and mushed it together, you know, mashed it up in some way with some algorithm and they've turned it into the field that actually flowed through to me. You you see what I mean? So it's, it's, there's a, there's, in that case, there are two tertiary sources for that information that get blended into the secondary provider, which flows to the primary provider. So what, it's it's a very messy problem. So what
1: should what should insurance companies be doing, and, and then I guess this translates to other just general companies. What I mean, let's just let's kind of talk uh, opportunities here.
2: Well, you know, I think they have to be very very careful about what they do with this information and how they use it to make decisions. And I'll give you an example that's in the news as we speak. Uh, Consumer Reports came out with um, a study, just actually, it hasn't even hit my mailbox yet because I do subscribe. Um, I went back and looked for it, but maybe it's in the March issue, but there was a a bunch of news about, there are certain personal auto companies that are using, in certain states, they're using education um, and, and job title as, variables in some form or fashion to price your insurance. And in the study that was quoted in this in, in, this, uh, in the consumer reports they talk about that certain, um, uh, certain protected groups uh, pay more uh, because they have lower educational levels. So I was just curious. So I went out and pulled out. I still have the data that I pulled from this data source that's like from 2016. Because uh, they don't offer that service anymore for some reason. And um, I went back and looked at my own data and I was pleased to see that I had a high school diploma. Um, they don't know anything about my master's degree. So, um, so how would I get scored in that regard? You know, they, they're missing two degrees from me. Um, that gives you an example of the problem you have. So, as an insurer, you know, this, these companies that are cited in this research study are using educational level um, as an indicator of how the, I might be posing risk to, you know, based on their correlations and my data is wrong. As I said earlier, they also have my job. I mean, it's just a vague job title. They have me as like managerial, whatever that means. That could mean a lot of things. I could be a manager of a burger King or I could be the, you know, executive at a corporation. Um, so my point being is that there's correlation, um, it's difficult to describe causality. Um, I think you could probably make some points about you know, why the causality might exist, but it would be speculative at best. Um, but the big issue is that based on the law of large numbers, the data is predictive. That variable is, is, is as a single variable is predictive. But now we get into the mischief of insurance, which is while it's macro predictive, it's on a micro level quite wrong so the micro-segmentation is jeopardized by that. And that creates the insurance problem is how, while I might make macro level decisions, and again, you know, actuaries work in pricing and insurance is all predicated on the law of large numbers. It works at the law of large numbers level, but it's not going to work on the individual level uh, because for every one you find that it works for, there'll be another one that you find it doesn't work for. Yeah, And, and that's what regulators are starting to wake up and pay a lot of attention to. And, and, and I'm keenly plugged into this because I'm actually, I've actually been providing advice to several insurance regulators who have called me. And it's not usually one of those calls that you say, no, I don't want to help, um, you know, cause you, you kind of, especially in my role in the industry it's important to be, you know, helpful whenever possible. Um, and I've talked very, I, I was on an advisory board for one state and we talked a lot about this issue and the, the regulators at the um, there's an organization called the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, the NAIC, and it is essentially a organization of the 50 state regulators. And I think there's actually 52 because I think um, Puerto Rico's got one and I think maybe Guam too. And, well, actually, maybe even 53, Washington, D.C. has one, um, I think. But anyway, then um, they all get together and they talk about you know, how to harmonize certain aspects of the insurance uh, regulatory process for the country. And this is an issue that's on their agenda is data governance, uh, uh, algorithmic risk. And they're obviously, their big concern is how do these issues create what's called disparate impact, which is how do they adversely impact protected groups, whether they be, you know, ethnic or racial groups or or various other uh, protected groups. Um, in ways that are inherently unfair even if the industry didn't intend anything to be unfair
0: yeah. because
2: they are either data artifacts or statistical artifacts that create that what's called disparate impact. And that's the issue that's swirling around right now.
0: I think that's that this is fascinating and you know I think what's interesting is that obviously with this crew here, you know people listening and live on the show today, We've got a little bit of a niche audience here, and I think to a lot of us, some of these things are kind of common sense, or you know, at least you know, make a lot of sense, right? Um, you know, what's the biggest gap that's preventing insurance companies from being able, or you know, or any companies really, to be able to take these things into account? Is it is it a skills gap? Is it a technology gap? Is it a you know, uh, you know, a policy gap? Or like, does the government need to kind of come down and say, hey, like, you all need to kind of change your approach here? What what do you you know, is it a mix? What do you what do you see there?
2: Well, I think it's a mix. I think there's. I think it would be very helpful to have the regulators get um, much more vigorous and rigorous with uh, the data broker ecosystem. I think what they the message that needs to be sent to the the vendors is basically, if you want to be a participant in the industry in which we regulate, there are some rules of the road and certain expectations and certain transparency that is expected of you. Otherwise, um, we'll we'll see what that, what's next, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you don't, I don't think you want to get to the what's next. Um, and I think, uh, the same goes for insurance companies as buyers of this information. Um, I, I, you know, there is power in numbers. I think these, um, all these insurance companies, my company included, are members of major trade groups. Uh, we're, we're a member of an organization called the APCIA American property casualty insurance association. Uh, there's another major group called NAMIC, the National Association of Mutual Insurance Carers. That's on the PNC side. The life insurance side has similar organizations. I think they need to basically, um, you know, I think there's an opportunity for those organizations and the member companies to make statements to the the data vendor um, system ecosystem to say, we need to talk about how to improve this, how to create more transparency and improve quality and at least, at least help us as insurers understand what the issues are and, and how do we navigate around them? Because I'm not suggesting the data is ever going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's questions, you know, I'll give you some examples. It's like, so I used to live in the state of Connecticut. I live in Florida now Um, in Connecticut, to the best of my knowledge, uh, if you own a dog, Um, everybody has to buy a dog license from their town clerk. There's 169 towns in Connecticut. So there's 169 little micro repositories of dog ownership. Um, That is the definitive source, the most accurate source of who owns a dog, assuming people are being legal and registering their dog. Um, Petco, as an example, is probably not the best place to decide if somebody has a dog. Um, It is unclear how these vendors get dog ownership but I've had a dog until recently for 30 years, according to my data, I didn't have a dog, um, but I registered our dog with a licenser. So <laughs> the, the point being is, you know, where are these vendors getting this stuff and are they getting it from the appropriate primary data source? Or are they getting it from what is cheapest or most expedient or the one that can create the easiest data feed yeah.
0: it, it seems like sometimes it's more based on you know the data that's available or the vendors that are available versus there's almost this art of data sourcing that uh you exactly. know is kind of missing from from all of this and but uh, that,
1: that means that yeah. as the buyers of this data we really need to be specific and say i want to know where your data comes from and we need to go push for that right people will can give some answers but we like i truly want to know the provenance of that of where you're coming in
2: but, yep. so. but then we get to the, the side of, of, the, of the equation that, that data.world lives on, and that is the data governance side um, and the schemas and, and, and the like. And you know, so as this data flows into the company, you know, how does the company keep track of this? So, I mean, it is not unusual for you to go into a large insurance company and find that they buy the same data a bunch of different times either the same vendors or many vendors, and that all flows around inside the organization based on somebody's personal preference or based on, um, you know, legacy history. There's a lot of reasons why that is. And what you end up with is this giant data governance, you know, rat's nest inside of every company. Um, And, you know, and this becomes a big issue, you know, with regards to, you know, what's the accuracy of the data as it blends in with internal information um, what's the context of this information are we even using the right data for the right things um, how complete is it because a lot of times um, you know there's fields that are empty or they're not appropriately populated is the data consistent in some form or fashion the biggest one for me is timeliness it's like so if i'm making a decision about something or some you know some risk aspect that of an insurance problem like how how accurate is this data with regard to uh, currency yeah um, is it a year old is it a month old is it five years yeah. old
0: yeah. um, I mean, there's almost like a, a you know a checklist and a quality approach that we should really be thinking about here that uh, that's, that's that's really important and um, you know and I'm just noticing that we're we're running low on time here, so I think before we fully wrap up um, want to ask you one more quick question really quick John sure. uh, when, when you look at um when you look at some of the new players in the space, like you know the Zebra, and Lemonade, and things like that, uh, d- do you see that they're doing a better job of handling this data sort of messiness problem, or, or you know, uh, what, what's your take on some of the newcomers?
2: Well, um, I would say you know they have the same they're they're beholden to the same supply chain of data, um, and they and and if they. And If they you know they they create easy mechanisms for, for a customer to enter data to them, that's nice. Um, but you know those of the insurance industry know that uh, data has to be validated because if a particular answer is going to advantage you price wise, that needs to be checked. So I no, I don't see that. I certainly don't see it in the re, in the financial results of some of those companies that you named. Um, <laughs> not not by any stretch of the imagination, not yet. um so no i don't i don't i think they've got the same problems as everybody else whether they're you know quote-unquote insure tech or or legacy insurers they've all got the same problems in my
0: mind maybe they benefit from uh being able to start fresher with their tech stack but uh but otherwise the the in the end the lineage goes back to the same data vendors right correct
1: yeah so John, I told you 30 minutes fly by.
2: I it mean, did. I've got all to... these
0: other cool things <laughs> to talk about.
1: Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. So that's just for folks who are just listening to the podcast. If you stick around, we're going to stop recording. We're just going to keep having this conversation. So feel free to join us next time. We would love to, we always love to wrap up with some takeaways. Tim, what are your takeaways after this discussion?
0: So obviously a big takeaway for me, uh, based on, on your, your really great inputs, John is, is this whole garbage in garbage out kind of situation, right? Like, uh, when you said that 44% of people said their vehicle information was 100% wrong and, you know, a third or however many folks uh, with their data that say it was zero to 25% accurate. I mean, that's just crazy, right? It just goes back to the whole point that we really need to make sure that we're getting good data in and, and making, and and to your point, right, making good decisions about sort of what is my confidence level around this data, right? And right. if I'm not that confident confident in this data, then that affects the kinds of decisions I can make using it.
1: Yeah, and so my, my takeaway, I got two. One is I love this whole macro predictive, right? It works under the law of large numbers, but at a micro level, it doesn't. And if, if it works for one, you're going to find another person right, similar that it doesn't work for them. I think that's something really crucial to take into account. And the other one is we talk about data quality. I think there's this new buzzword of data observability, but in reality, it, maybe it's another one. It's the next buzzword, data validation, data validity. So uh, I think that's another key takeaway. Uh, John, to wrap up, Two quick questions. One is we got a broad audience. What's your advice for folks who are listening to us? One. And second is, who should we invite next to be on cataloging cocktails?
2: Uh, well, what's my advice? Well, my, I mean, you, you heard, first of all, look for ways to check your own data. That would be my advice because I Perfect. think it's an important exercise. So there, you, you reach out to some of these companies. They usually have ways to examine. Any of you who are California residents, and raise your hands, but you can't do that here. Anyone who's a California resident under the California, uh, the Consumer CCPA. Protection Act, the CCPA, has the right to ask to see your data. So do it, take a look and uh, you know, shoot me an email and let me know what you find. That'd be kind of interesting. Um, as far as who you'd invite, I would recommend inviting a, 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 an executive from a data vendor. Um, you know, We'll do that. I, I can help you find one. There's, Excellent. there's, there's some out there I
0: know.
1: John, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Cheers, my friend. My
0: pleasure. Have a great one. Cheers.